Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Huge hello to every single good human out there. Thanks so much for tuning in today. This is episode number 70 of Good Humans Guests. If it's your first time here today, thanks so much for joining us. I'm stoked to have you here. Today's episode is a very special one. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do me a huge favor. Take 30 seconds of your time. Go and hit five stars on the rating. Click follow, click click subscribe and yeah, get around this podcast. It's been so awesome watching it watching it grow week in, week out and having just such amazing conversations with people. And hopefully if you're listening to this frequently, you're beginning to learn how different all of our stories are and we can continue to learn from every single person if we listen with an open and curious mind. If you do enjoy the sort of stuff I do talk about on this podcast and with the Good Human Factory about tying mental health into a holistic approach and yeah, kind of making mental health cool and making it just a normal conversation we all have because we all have mental health and we should all be taking care of it. If you are enjoying it, please head over to thegoodhumanfactory.com. Check out the workshops I run with corporate and high schools and also primary schools now. I've just started doing primary schools, which has been epic and also sporting clubs. So if you have anything in that realm, which is most of us, reach out to me, check out the website, look at the workshops page. You can learn all about the workshop I run. It's all around improving our values and beginning to live life with yeah the good human mindset so check that out also check out the merch you can use the code podcast for a huge 25% off which is epic I love seeing people wearing the merch and it's crazy how many messages I get from people saying oh I was walking down the street and somebody read the be kind to you mind on my chest and they told me it really made their day and it made them change their mindset or I read the what are you grateful for on the back of your shirt or hoodie and it really made me reflect and yeah, this is what I'm grateful for. So it's an amazing conversation starter. And that's what the Good Human Factory is all about. Helping us create good conversations around mental health, really positive things and really inspire people. Yeah, just to spark those positive chats. So make sure you check out the website, pick up a bit of merch. I'd be super appreciative. Today's episode is all about our great friend, Sam Tate. Sam's a Paralympic sit skier. He had an accident when he was 21 on a motorbike, which left him paralyzed from the waist down. He then got into sit skiing, which is sitting on a single ski in a bucket seat with two, I can't remember what he called them, two little skis on each of his arms and flying down the mountain like a bullet. And he's been to multiple Paralympics. He's represented Australia. And it's just so, so cool to hear his story, to hear his mindset. And he's just crazy resilience through obviously some very difficult times in his life. Let's jump straight into the chat today. Welcome to the Good Humans podcast, Sam Tate. How you going, mate? Thank you. Good to be here. Man, it's um great. We, we literally met like two days ago. I had lunch. Yeah. I'm down at the snow right now. We're at Benny Turl. <laughs> Benny Turl. <laughs> shout out to Benny Turl. Yeah, shout out to Benny Turl. We were just talking about him. Previous guest on Good Humans Podcast. Great friend of mine and um, friend of yours from where yeah. you grew up in Barrel. But yeah. man, I'm excited to hear all about your story. We've um, yeah connected the last few days. Benny Tudhope. 
uh, good human ambassador, great friend of both of ours, Paralympic teammate of yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're sitting in his place. Yeah. I was about to drive home from Gin Divine to uh, Sydney right now, but I was like, too good of an opportunity to miss. So jumped on the potty and yeah, I can't thank you enough. So I guess to start off, maybe tell the listeners who you are and what you do. Um, yeah, I guess so. As you said, Sam Tate, I'm a Paralympic winter alpine skier, um, two-time Paralympian and going for my third games in four years' time, hopefully. Man, it's so cool. I've like been lucky enough to meet a bunch of Paralympians and it's like recently and it's like so – it just interests me so much, <laughs> like the different paths it takes for you guys. And as well with Paralympians, what I find really interesting is quite often, like yourself, and we will get into your story – the disabilities or yeah disabilities come are acquired rather than born with so it's like this a completely unique story for almost every single paralympian which is awesome and your story is going to be very unique too and i can't wait to share it so let's start by rewinding back to the beginning where were you born where'd you grow up and what was life like as a kid for you oh okay let's start i guess i was born in sydney in hunters hill um i have a twin brother and then a younger sister moved back and then we moved to Barrel, Southern Highlands when I was two years old. So grew up around there on six acres and always out, outside people, always did snow trips as kids and came down to Perisher and skied. And then later on when we were better, went to overseas for ski trips and stuff. So snow has been our family for my whole life really. And um, to have it now and as an elite, I guess, elite sport or me being in the elite um, – <clears throat> program and it's it's pretty special and it's pretty it's pretty cool to think that well i've tried racing back when i was able and i hated it i just could not i just i just hate it i just want to go free skiing and chill with mates and then now that i'm sit skiing and it's progressed over the last seven eight years it's i love it i couldn't i i don't know where that mindset switched or when it changed but racing is just so fun and when you finish a race it's like yeah let's go again yeah it's pretty man. epic watching you on the sit ski like pinning it down the mountain is just wild like yeah it's a wild ride <laughs> yeah benny benny tudhope was just saying like it's like impossible to keep up with you most of the time <laughs> i'm like I, we were gonna almost get a little ride in this morning but had yeah. to pull it short but we will definitely get a couple days in next 100%. season which i'm looking forward definitely. to but i want to get a bit more into your story before your accident what high school was like for you growing up, what you were kind of like as a student, and then, yeah, what your goals and visions were leaving school. Jesus, that's coming back a few years. Um, <laughs> from, what <you> <laughs> from what I can remember. I don't know. I think growing up and being a twin, I think I tried way too hard now looking back on it to be so to be different than my twin. I don't think I really appreciated how close me and my brother could be and I think I just tried everything to not be like my brother because we look the same. Identical? Um, yeah, pretty much identical, yeah. I mean, in school, you, yeah, we had the same hair, curly hair, and you just couldn't really – we were very, very much alike and we kind of did the same sports. We did soccer and basketball, uh, but he was always um, – I was always better at sport. So he was in the first basketball, I was in the seconds or whatever it was. Um, he, we were both in first soccer, but he was always better at it. And it, I don't think it annoyed me, but I just kind of tried everything to be different or be better than him. And sport back then wasn't – I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So whatever, he can have that. And 
um, I found the gym and started training and that kind of, he wasn't into the gym. He was just sport and work mm. really. And I did the gym and then turned 18 and found alcohol, which is a blessing in the curve or well, not really a blessing, but kind of got into drinking quite a lot and a few of my mates did. And then, um, he doesn't drink at all. So I was like, Oh, really? this is, I don't know if that's why I kept doing it. Cause he doesn't do it. And I was like being different than him. And then, I mean, looking back on now, I'm like, that was such a stupid life path to choose. But I mean, when you're young, you don't really have any idea of mm. what life's going to throw at you and what, what you, what you're going to do. So I was like, Oh, I'll just do this for while well, I was working and just drinking and like, it just it wasn't a sustainable, healthy choice. And then, mm. yeah, but, um, after school, I don't know what I was, I had no ambitions to it. I was just going to work in a restaurant, serve drinks, serve food, whatever it was. Um, did a few jobs here and there, jumped between a CAD detailing job for three years and I hated that. Just the same stuff every day, same office, same kind of job every day. And all my mates were traders and they were outside and I was like, I just want to be able to do something different and then quit that. Looking back on it now, stupid because I had six months of my TAFE course to do and then I was qualified uh. and then I was like, oh, why did I not? Look back now, I'm like, I could use that right now. Yeah. but. I still do CAD. I still do it for myself. But if I had that certificate or qualification, it would be probably a little bit easier to get yeah. some work. But it's interesting. My dad draws on CAD. Oh yeah. My dad's um, a draftsman. He draws like the air conditioning units into buildings. Yeah, yeah. So kind of understand all that stuff a little bit yeah. far out. Like yeah. you said, I feel like that office job mentality oh, for me is it. just like I mean, I've never had to do it, but I've done like the tradie life. But even just the same like structure to me yeah in a way that is year on year out i feel like structure as an athlete's different because it's your training in an environment yeah, to go away goal. yeah exactly whereas yeah that mindset of like all right i'm just going to work again tomorrow yeah. to make Monday my to paycheck to go and get drunk on the weekend yeah exactly yeah and i knew i was like i hated it and i was just kind of doing it because my parents wanted me to have a job and i was like well, i'll just do this to make everyone happy then quit and then did a pre-apprenticeship for electrical, uh, electrotechnology. Um, Love that. And I was 21 at the time and I was, wouldn't say I was good at maths, but I understood it. And then doing electrical in the, at this, or the TAFE class for six months, I just excelled. And I was like, this is, okay, I like this. Everything either works or it doesn't. Let's go get a job in like the electrical industry and then found a job at, bottle in the cement factory uh-huh. back at home and got um yeah started there in january and loved it it was just monday to friday one day at tafe and you could work weekends and at the time first year apprentice it was pretty decent pay and i was like oh this is so good i found what i love i'm gonna do this and i don't know for the rest of my life whatever and then 22 bought a motorbike and Got told, well, obviously mum wasn't too happy, but I was like, look, I want to do this is what is. Mm. I'll be safe. And then three months after that, I was riding with a few mates down, where was it? It was down like Nara, Berry, up through Wollongong and then up past Scarborough along that ocean. Yeah. Ocean Bridge. Yeah. Um, like. um, What's it called? Oh, I can't think. Stanmore Tops. <laughs> yeah. Stanmore Tops, past there, up in the National Park. 
and it was it was the be- one of the best days I've had on a bike. And to this day, still, I do not regret waking up and getting on that bike because after my accident, well, had my accident, and then the last that was in 2013, and the last eight years have been um, have been tough, but they've been incredible. Mm. Like I would never ever in my whole life think that I would be a Paralympian. Yeah, wow. And go to Paralympics. It's um, I th- I feel like I would be here no matter what, whether I bought a bike, had a car accident, skiing accident. Mm. I feel like I fit in now in a chair and in my life now being a skier, and I was always going to end up here no matter what. Wow, that's such a unique and interesting mindset. It's really cool the way you can articulate that and the way that you can reflect and because, I, I mean, Anyone listening to this podcast now would have hopefully heard that the previous few weeks I have had a few other people who have had spinal injuries yeah. on the podcast and everyone's experience is so different and everyone's yeah. journey, especially post-injury, is really unique. What can you remember from the day if you're willing to kind of... Oh, yeah, happy to go into it. Yeah, just because I think it, that and the initial after the crash from what you can remember and then that initial part of recovery because that's pretty make or break i feel like not make 100%. or break but it's very it's where you got to kind of choose yeah, to be it's like, like yep, yeah do you choose I'm to be the victim or the hero exactly. of the story moving yeah, forward and exactly. obviously it sounds like your life has gotten better since the accident not better but you know it's more I mean, fulfilling exactly for sure, it's yeah. different but mm. yeah you've still got a very positive outlook on life and stuff so yeah so what you're 22 years old 22 um years old yeah thought i was invincible and you break your back yeah, broke my back at T10, T11. Yeah. Complete. Um, so no feeling from the waist down, uh, no spasms, which I don't know if you know much about. Not or a lot, but maybe explain um, a bit. I mean, there's very, I don't know, there's so much difference between every spinal cord injury. Um, yeah. And because I'm a complete, my spinal cord's completely cut, so there's no nerves, I guess, attached for going lower or below my injury mm-hmm. um so i've got no no movement or no muscle movement from the waist down and some people have incomplete where they still have nerves running down below their injury and they'll get like little muscle spasms where their pain muscles will yeah pain but they're like their legs will just kind of bounce sometime and um i mean they'll have might have a bit more ability with bowels and bladder control but Virtually, I mean, everyone's so different and everyone's got a different story. And yeah. um, I don't know where I was going with this. But no, no, just, <laughs> yeah, like your injuries, yeah, like you said, super unique. Mm. What was it like that, I, like when you first got to hospital, were you conscious? Were you like taking an ambulance, obviously, from the road? And then, yeah, yeah what um, can you remember from that day? Because talking to like Josh Woody, who you said you might not really know yeah. that snowboarder who had an accident. Yep. Barney Miller, a friend of mine um, who had a car accident. Yep. And everyone's story is a bit different. Like Josh remembers when it happened, he was awake. He's like, don't move me. Barney, yeah, right. yeah, was unconscious straight after the accident. So it's like everyone's obviously experience is super unique. So what was it like for you once you had that crash? Uh, so the last thing I remember is riding out of the national park and then basically three days of like black. I don't remember anything. Um, I was riding with four mates and 
I was in the middle by myself and there was a few hundred meters between everyone. So no one saw what, what happened, happened, which I mean, I, I don't care. I've thought it'd be nice to know, but then would it be nice to know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Was it like your fault? Did something run in front yeah, of you? Yeah, exactly. Like- exactly. Um, so I, yeah, I've just gone like, yeah, okay. Is what it is. Can't really change it obviously. Um, and then, um, they all thought I was fine cause I was trying to get up. Um, I, like, I don't think I, well, I don't think I was showing I was in pain. I think it must've been adrenaline yeah, yeah. kicked in, but then there was this doctor in the traffic and he came down and he was touching my legs and saying, can you feel this? Can you feel that? And I was, I was pretty coherent and conscious and they were, I was like, no. And then he kept me on the ground. And then the next thing I remember is in a helicopter flying over the Hubbard bridge. Mm. Um, Scenic. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure the doctor or the nurse was like, Oh, look at that. This is like the only time you're going to be looking at a Hubbard bridge from above. And I was like, it was, I remember thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. And then landing at um, Royal North Shore. North Shore Hospital. My sister works in the spinal. Oh, really? Actually, now. Oh, yeah, yeah right. she's the nurse. Yeah, that place was, I'll get into it, but that place was great. Um, okay. I thought that could have gone either <laughs> no, way. I'm yeah. like, glad that you went that way. <laughs> no, yeah, I'll get into that. But um, then the next thing is being in the MRI machine and I had that button of like morphine or painkillers. I don't know what it was. And it was an hour, I think an hour and a half MRI. And I'm just sitting there pressing this button because I was just, all I remember is being in so much pain and just someone talking to me and being like, it's okay. I don't have much time left. Um, what sort of pain? I just want to ask this because I, I, I edited Josh Woody's um, one yesterday and the way he described it and he said other people described it, it was like he was laying on a rock. It was like yeah, there was a okay. rock under his back and he just like, yeah. See, I don't remember the, like what the pain felt like, but it was just, I remember thinking this is the worst pain surely anyone can go through. Like wow. I just wanted that button, that morphine or whatever was in that just to keep going, keep clicking in, but the pain never got wow. any any better. And like I must have been in and out of consciousness because it like – I, I mean, I don't remember what it felt like, but yeah. the pain was, it was just excruciating. Yeah. And I just wanted to, I don't know, go to sleep and get it fixed, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then coming out of the MRI, the next thing I remember is going into surgery. And I think my surgeon, he made, well, we'll I remember laughing with him. And I can't remember what he said, but. I remember we're having a good laugh and then I woke up three days later, basically. Was there anything like by then that you'd been, were you pretty aware that you'd probably never walk again at that stage from like the doctor on the road or were you still like hopeful, like, or maybe like they, because they hadn't done the MRIs, they didn't know to the extent of the damage. I think mm, like, I think very deep subconsciously, I knew that I wasn't going to walk again, Yeah, but I had never really known about spinal cord injuries or mm. what happens or what like what happens after you break your spinal cord so i woke up three days later and he's in hospital and no one had to tell me what had happened because i kind of i just you knew, knew right? i just knew i don't know yeah. but you had your doctor come in and they said oh you've broken your back you're not going to walk again it's 
like pretty cutthroat. That's it. Like yeah. there's no chance. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Being 22, I was like, no, I'll be at work in a week, go back to normal life. Um, and then weeks grew into months and years and what are we now, nine, yeah, wow. nine years down the path. But it took, I think, five years for me to really, like the first five years I was sweet. The fifth year for me was the hardest year I've had. Really? Yeah. Um, I think because the first five years I was just, I had found skiing, moved to Perisher, um, just come off Paralympics. So I was kind of living with a lot of adrenaline and just mm. like life's just going full steam. Yeah. It and then the fifth year. to kind of distract you along the way. Yeah. I didn't really have too much time to kind of sit down and reflect really reflect and think like, oh shit, I can't do this or whatever. Um, but then the fifth year, a few things just came to light and I was like, like I wasn't depressed, but there were times where I was like, this absolutely sucks. Mm. And it was towards the end of, oh, I guess in the middle of the winter season, I was back down here working and skiing and there was just probably a few weeks where I was like, no, nah, this is just, this is just so shit. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a chair anymore. I want to go back to my life and um, I'm not really like a negative person or anything. I try and look on the bright side and be grateful for what I have and um, I don't know, I guess it was just, it was just like, there was just times where I was like, no, I don't want to go out. I just want to stay in my room and mm. not see anyone. Yes. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's so hard to relate, obviously, for people like people <laughs> like myself, like able-bodied with out an injury, like to that extent. So it's so hard to relate. But yeah. man, I can just like empathize with that feeling. But I want to rewind quickly because we're going to catch back up to that part of your story. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying the nurses at Royal North Shore were good because oh, yeah. I I just yep. I know people with who have just gone through spinal cord injuries are hopefully going to start finding this podcast from a few of the guests that I've had because I think hearing other people's stories is so important for that journey of recovery. So what was that yeah that period 100%. of recovery like for you? Um, I kind of enjoyed getting a wheelchair for the first time and learning how to wheel and learning how to push and um. It was different and it was, it, I want to say fun, but it was just like once I had kind of accepted in hospital that I'm not going to walk again, I was like, okay, cool. Let's try and throw everything at my new life. Mm. Um, and Royal North Shore, I was in the acute ward for, I think it was only three or two weeks before I went to Prince of Wales on the other side of the bridge yeah. for rehab. But Royal North Shore was the brand new hospital. And everyone, it was like bright. There was light coming in the windows. Everyone was kind of practical. There was a nice little rehab room just down the hall. And it just, I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then two weeks, got transferred to Prince of Wales for rehab. And I get in there on a Friday afternoon. It was probably Friday afternoon, I don't know, four o'clock. So they're doing like changeover shift, people going over the weekend minimal staff over the weekend and no visiting. Oh, I think at the time or for some reason my parent family couldn't stay for the weekend or something, so they went back home. And I get there in this bed and it's chaos in this. There's probably, I don't know, 10 or maybe 20 beds in this big ward. Mm. 
and I'm laying on this bed in a room with five or six other people and the curtain shut that's like facing south so there's no sun. The war is like black. It's the most depressed, depressing place I've ever been. No way. And then got there and then family had to leave and I'm just laying in bed thinking, right, okay, um, what, what am I going to do? I'm just laying here, got no TV. I don't have a wheelchair that like to get out of bed and do anything. I didn't really know how to transfer out and yeah. get out and move at this point. So I'm laying there and I'm just thinking this is going to be the hardest time being here coming from Royal North Shore yeah. to now this place which is run down and needs a very, very big um, renovation and revamp. The people there, they were great, but the place, it was just Facilities. It it wasn't up shocking. Scratch, I don't know. Yeah, it was just, it was like, it was on the bottom floor and it was just, it was just shocking. Mm. Um, but now they've got a uh, Royal Ride, which is a new spinal cord uh-huh. rehab facility right next to, I think, the hospital. And it's, it's epic. It's, it's the same vibe as what Royal, as nice. what the hospital was before I went to PRW. So, yeah, I think, yeah. And there's a lot more facilities there with pools and OTs and physios and, Sick. It's a lot better. What What was that kind of next stage of your journey like with recovery and rehab, like learning how to use your wheelchair and then when did Paralympics come into your mind? Um. Yeah, so I guess, what was it? I guess Monday came and then you meet your whole team of like your OTs, your physios, your psychologists, your, your doctors. I guess everyone who's working with you to try and get you back home. Um, and then you've got this guy who teaches you how to be in a wheelchair, go down steps, go up gutters and all that stuff. And it was basically full on from day one, really. You get up at, I think it was like 6, 6.30, breakfast, go to the physio. Um, I think you'd have lunch maybe an hour and then you go back for like a weight session and then go out to wheelchair skills and, Monday to Friday for three months or two and a half months, two and a half months straight. Um, and in that time, I was like, I don't know, trying to think what I'm going to do after. Were you thinking going back to the electrical engineering job or was that not really yeah. on the cards because you said you were loving it that right, mm. kind of right before your accident? Was yeah. that on the cards to continue doing with your disability or not really? It was. Um, so the cement factory was kind of not on the cards um but then the council local council from southern highlands offered me a scholarship for an engineering degree okay um and i'm like oh this is yeah this would be sweet but uh, out of hospital i'm not like i'm still not sure what i want to do and i went and saw them and they're like yeah you can start uni or you can start i think it was like a month and i was like nah I need, I'm like, I still didn't really know, I feel comfortable yeah. being in a chair and being like being outside. I was just like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I was also, and I had tried skiing before that. So I just, I love that. And I was like, this is like, I want to give skiing a go. And then kind of said no to that scholarship, which I'm grateful for yeah. really. Um, and then when 2014, so a year, well, basically a year after my accident, moved to Perisher, learned how to ski and 
two weeks of lessons with people holding you with ropes so you don't hit people and then the whole season with a mate trying to just get independent and ski by myself and then shit it's been what seven years now since then um got picked up by the australian paralympic committee at the time and did a talent camp and then next year did more camps than went overseas 21st season overseas was 2016 17. wow let's talk about the challenge with sit skiing because for anyone <laughs> listening you have i'm going to put some content together with you riding because it's unbelievable it's, gnarly. <laughs> it's so gnarly like you don't have the bra- like the capacity to break and to change direction i mean you do because you're a pro <laughs> but when you're learning how hard yeah. is that learning curve learning how to and how frustrating was it was i don't know frustrating is a word but was mm. there moments where you're just like i'm over it just let me uh or was it kind of like you know what this is me now and no there wasn't skill to learn yeah there wasn't moments where i was over it because i was just living on this high of learning to ski and i was in perisher yeah and like every day i was getting better and better and i could ski and i i would guess had to learn how to break first before you can go out by yourself <laughs> um but it's terrifying sit skiing is bloody terrifying yeah so it's, do you want to explain what it is for everyone listening yeah um so um so i'm sitting in like a bucket seat strapped into this bucket on top of a uh, single ski single ski with a shock and spring in between it to absorb yeah the bumps and then i've got two little outriggers skis on my arms which help with traversing and skiing and you basically got to throw yourself down the mountain as fast as you can yeah because yeah. and then like yeah. if you fall over how hard it, can you get back up by yourself now yeah yeah it's i mean difficult. it depends how you land yeah um if my ski's down the hill then it's easy but if it's above me then you've got yeah. to kind of got to wriggle around and get your ski down the hill um but if you fall in a sit ski you like you're getting smoked you're getting pretty habit <sighs> yeah so gnarly yeah. man like what, i was <laughs> like i was saying to you i want to like gnarly. try and give it a go next year <laughs> yeah, but i'm 100%. just like it just seems like the the errors are so costly like you do not oh, fall. you're yeah, strapped no, in that definitely. thing's coming with you down the that thing's coming with you and you're just following it down yeah. the hill until oh, you stop <laughs> oh. so, so let's talk this next stage then oz paralympic committee hits you up yeah how's that process work is there many other people that you can kind of look up to and be inspired by with sit skiing here in australia or was there not that much representation yeah. because like we talked about at the start a lot of disabilities are acquired so yeah. it's like people just come into the sport yeah. like you based on yeah. an accident so yeah was there anyone that you kind of looked up to or was there much representation of um sit skiing out there in australia? yeah um i'm trying to think so at the time I think I'm trying to think. There was there was retired sit skiers who had just retired. Yeah. Um, but we're living in Jindabyne and Shannon Dallas, one of the sit skiers who kind of I went out with and he kind of taught me like the little tricks and little tips to get off chairlifts and kind of little things oh that you God. just learn from I guess experience and being in the sport. And then so I went out with him a few times and he just he was a big speed scare um like me i don't know why i or how why i'm good at speed or why i like speed because it's it's i don't know why you do it to yourself because i'm at the top of a downhill 
and I'm thinking this is going to be the most scariest thing I've ever done. And you're looking down at this slope that's like vertical, uh, no, basically vertical, and you, you just want lean to, over the edge. Yeah, oh. your skis like hanging off a meter over the start gate, and then you got to go and it's like, who in their right mind wants to do this? But once you're on the snow, you lose all that fear, and you just skiing, mm. and you go back to like your habits of. You know, I mean, you know how to ski. Yeah. Um, same concept, using same, the edges yeah. of your skis, but you're yeah. obviously trying to get there with your core. It's mostly is core, like massive for you. Yeah, heaps of core to yeah. hold. And I think... And just lean, yeah, like learning how to lean your body. Yeah, yeah, because it's, yeah, same technique as skiing, but obviously yeah. my hips are now kind of your ankles, really, yeah. for skiing. So Interesting. it was, yeah, it's a, it's the coolest feeling, skid skiing, like... There's, I have not come across any other feeling in the world like said skiing, and it's it's gnarly. It's, yeah. it's epic. It's so cool. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to give it a go. I'm just absolutely eating next year. Maybe Friday flats for me. <laughs> yeah. But we'll, yeah. we'll, um, we'll definitely get out there. So let's talk about this next stage now. So you've been picked up by Oz Paralympic Committee. Yep. How long until the next games once you got picked up and started training? What did training kind of look like? And yeah, yeah when did, hey, you're going to probably go to the next Paralympics come in your mind and like, wow, we'll get to represent um, my country. So I got picked up in 2015, three years before um, South Korea, Pyeongchang yeah. Paralympics. And like my goal was to get to Paralympics and represent Australia. And at the start, from as soon as you sat on a sit ski, were you like, Ooh. yeah, basically, pretty Sick. much. As soon as I kind of saw it in hospital, I was like, yeah, let's give this a go and let's represent Australia at Paralympics. Sick. And then 2015 was my first season skiing. I think I did a few days, got a pressure sore from my new sit ski, and I was out for, oh, I think it was like maybe eight weeks. Wow. Just in bed, letting this thing heal because. Um, because I don't have much feeling or any, sorry, any feeling from my yeah. waist down, you've got less blood flow because your muscles can't contract and push blood up and down. And it's basically whatever pressure you get from your heart, pushing the blood around. Yeah. Um, so I had to be really careful with my skin and, um, yeah, cause you can't feel if you cut yourself or yeah. you get a sore on your bum. From, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, interesting. So if you hold your, like your finger on your skin and like you kind of get that white blanched yeah. area. If I do that under here for or anywhere below my waist for over half an hour or whatever, you're going to like your skin will probably die and then become infected Then you get pressure sores and then you got to get off it for months at a time. So yeah, crazy. I was naive and young in, in a wheelchair. I didn't really understand this. So I was skiing not really checking my skin and then notice I had a pressure sore. So I was out for basically 2015 season. Wow. And then come back 2016, I was like, all right, got a new bucket from um, America. Went over to America at January 2016. Got a new custom bucket, which works perfectly. And uh, I still have to this day, but it's very, <laughs> it's pretty beat up and I wanted to quickly ask this. And stuff, yeah. How hard is it to find one? Um, oh, it's how expensive so is it? And then it's kind of gone a little bit off topic, but we spoke yeah. about this the other day. What sort of funding do you have to help with your journey now? Obviously, you have a different life to yeah. most people, like having a disability. 
And you were saying you're through like the road association insurance. Do they help with this journey or is that Paralympics kind of help with yeah. funding with that or is that all family funding? Because I can imagine your ski, yeah, I guess, the skis are expansive. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, all of the above. So, Sorry, that was like six questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think anything um, adaptive-wise, wheelchair-wise, like disabled equipment is like, 10 times markup on the price. Like wheelchairs cost $15,000 to $10,000. Um, sit ski, my sit ski was um, 16 plus a custom bucket, which is seven. Um, <gasps> seven grand for like a carbon fiber seat that's carved out. Carbon fiber seat with like a foam insert that's like modeled to you. Yeah. Um, and you've got your little outriggers, which are a thousand bucks, 1200 bucks for the pair. Um, Skis, but racing skis are a thousand bucks for a pair plus bindings. It adds up. Yeah. But yeah, any any adaptive equipment or disabled equipment is just I don't know. What, but the price is up. just like ten times I, I mean there's nothing not to compare. In, yeah, it's hard to compare because yeah. obviously they're not gonna be making them in the sheer size, which is what gets cost down, yeah. but still seems like they I mean, yeah, it's it's, yeah. I don't know. It's ridiculous because I mean I'm very lucky because I had my accident on the road, so I'm covered by lifetime care and support through iCare. So that's New South Wales's green slip. Yeah. Um, so they will help me with um anything I guess wheelchair related. So like help set up your house, like for accessibility, kind of or not really. Uh, yeah, they will. Um, so if you build a new house, they'll they'll um subsidise costs for ramps or making ground level like the whole full ground level or putting lifts in or okay. whatever you, it might be but um yeah it's there so that they help me with they help me buy my first hit ski yeah um and then they've helped me with so much um but then when you want to move to that high performance mm. sort of area then it's like a gray area because they will help you get back to a normal way of living. But once you put high performance into it, they're like, no, nah, because yeah. you can get the the cheapest equipment, which will still work, and that's what we'll fund. Yeah. But if you want to go like Paralympic level and high performance level, then you're going to have to yeah, work it out yourself. Work out or find another 10, whatever, $15,000 for the right one. And um, lucky I've been pretty lucky over the few years I've um, – Met a few amazing people who have donated some money for hit skis um, and helping me get overseas. So it's yeah, I haven't been. I mean, I still it still cost me a fair bit every year to go overseas, but yeah. I'm not in the sport for the money. I'm in it for well to win a gold medal and I get to travel the world, go to places I've never would have thought, and mm. I get to ski. And the road I've made made and met some. Incredible humans like yeah. Benny. Tato. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's so cool, like getting to know your guys' world with the Paralympic world a little bit more. Mm. And like we, I said at the start, so many unique stories and so many just like Benny touched on in his episode. You guys aren't inspiring because you get out of bed in the morning. Like everyone's going to do that yeah. anyway. You guys have the same work ethic and overcome more challenges than any Olympic athlete, and yeah. are out there achieving the same stuff. Like, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if I should bring this up, but just the <laughs> connotation. Oh, I don't know how to explain this. When we went to Kosciuszko yesterday, 
me and Benny, the few guys at the top of the mountain were just like, oh yeah, he's like, does like the Paralympic stuff like sometimes and just yeah. like treated as if it was like sub, like Olympic level. Yeah, and I'm right. like, because I know you guys a lot now, it makes me be like, oh, I wish people were more educated to understand the para-athletes go through exactly the same amount of training yeah, exactly. as Olympic athletes. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. I think people need to like hear that message more mm. and be like, oh, maybe we'll tune into the para games more because these guys are all just doing their absolute best and training yeah. their absolute asses off to represent their countries yeah. and themselves yeah, exactly. to the exactly. best of their ability in their sport yeah. with just as much training and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Paralympics, like para is parallel to the Olympics. Yeah. So it's kind of like. I learned that one from Dylan Alcott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Able, that's a great podcast. It is. Um yeah, so it's not like para as a paraplegic or something. It's, yeah, it's parallel to the Olympics. Yeah, it's on the same, well, the same level yeah. as the Olympics. Mm. It's just I think with Dylan and Kurt and I'm trying to think who else there is. I can't think of any other names, but um, they're very they're huge advocates for disability and disability and like Paralympic sports and I think over the last oh, maybe two years, a year, it's just become a lot more traction with the mm. Paralympics and especially having the Com Games back in, when was that? Oh, last year maybe or a few years ago yeah. in Queensland? Yeah, a couple of years ago. I think, ago. yeah. Um, I think that was huge. Was it 2018? I think so. Oh, that's Yeah, because it was meant to be 2020 fast, Tokyo and Com Games are two years before and Tokyo ended up 2021. So it's two years before? <laughs> There's Jesus. Com Games and two years in Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it must have been 2018, four years wow, ago. That's, that's <laughs> crazy, yeah. That's crazy. Crazy. Um, yeah, I think the traction's just become like it's only just starting. Yeah. And then with Brisbane having the the next Olympics and Paralympics, yeah, in 2032, that's going to be epic for epic. para-sport in Australia for sure. Let's talk about your first Paralympics and Pyeongchang going yeah. in. Had you done a fair bit of competing at World Cup level and stuff? And what's the tour like for your um, your event and what does your event look like? Yeah. Um, so I found out two weeks before the games that I was going. Wow. As did basically the whole team. We were in – we'd gone overseas to Europe in November and we were there basically until the games and then hopefully going to the games. And we're in the States doing like a training camp before and we're just – doing um doing double sessions and no one has still heard we we're all assuming we're going but we hadn't got that letter saying congratulations you're gonna represent australia at the 2018 winter paralympics and then one morning you woke up and i was like oh yeah okay this is i didn't really feel too happy because i was like well we've all been told we're going like yeah you've been it was training for it it was cool, but then you could kind of officially say to your family, oh, yeah, I'm actually going to the game. Sick. Um, so that was cool. And then you get all your official kit when you get to um, South Korea and you walk into your bedroom and you've got well, like a huge suitcase probably the size of this <laughs> um, bench and it's just full to the brim with like Australia-branded gear with like the Aboriginal mm. um, design on it, which was – I think 2018 winter was the first um, uniform that they incorporated the design on. Yeah, it's cool. It was um, only para half. Huh? Yeah, it was only para. Yeah, whereas yeah, 
Oz Olympic don't do anything with the Indigenous stuff. Yeah. It's so cool, your guys' uniforms. Yeah, oh, I love it. It's like I saw this and I was like, that is honestly the coolest thing How special ever. is it putting on your green and gold for the first time? It's pretty cool, yeah. Um, it's like Because on the um, like on the speed suits, it was the design is the states and territories of Australia and it's all connected with like a, a, a path or track. So yeah. it's showing we all come together from all over Australia, but I guess at the games we compete as mm-hmm. one as as Australia. Yeah. So, so cool. it was pretty cool, and that like I've still got that speed suit. I'll never get rid of that because that's yeah. like my very first speed suit at the games, and there's a lot of cool memories behind that games because back then no COVID, or well, COVID didn't even exist, yeah. um, and the village was really cool because everyone was in the same village, and the food hall. I always go about, go on about the food hall because it was epic it was 24 7 whatever you wanted mm-hmm. like burgers pizza sushi um traditional um korean food then you had like your steak and veg spag bar whatever you wanted love that any time of the day <laughs> it was just it was so good um and then i hadn't done so my i, I enjoy the speed events i am good at the speed events and I had only done, I think, one, two, four, maybe four race downhill races. So downhill is the fastest event of the Alpine discipline. So there's downhill, Super G, GS, and Slalom. Yeah. Do you want to explain what each of them are? Just yeah. Real yeah. Just to- so downhill and Super G are the speed events. Yeah. Um, the difference between each event is the distance between the gates. Okay. So downhill, you've got. 50 plus meters between each turn. So you just like carving real quickly between. No, not oh, quickly. Oh, that's chill. That's chill. So that's 50. about going fast and straight down. And- yeah. So it's basically set with the hill. So you're flowing with the hill. So it could be 100, 150 meters for a turn. Then the next turn. Yeah. Um, Super G is 40 to 50 meters. So they're your speed events. Then you got your two tech events with the GS and Slalom. Now GS is between 24 and 30 metres between each turn. It's like a lot sharper. Yeah, and then slalom is the one with the single poles where you kind of hit them, and that's between oh, yeah. 6 and 12 metres. Uh-huh. And I'm not a fan of slalom. <laughs> I enjoy the speed events, laying it over and feeling that G-force, and then when you finish downhill, it's like you don't want to do that again because mm. it's the most scariest but funnest Thing you've ever done what what's your, what's your fastest being clocked at 127 <laughs> oh, <I can laughs> hell, man. that's so nuts 127 that was in there. training so probably i reckon in a race you're probably going a bit faster but wow that was in switzerland on a glacier and Gnarly. once you get over 100 or up to like 90 you don't feel it it's kind of like i wouldn't say it slows down but it you're feels so like you have focused. more time mm. to react yeah Interesting. But everything happens so fast. Yeah. So you, do you compete in the two speed events at the Olympic, uh, the Paralympics? Yeah, I did downhill Super G and – oh, no, at 2018 I did all of them. Okay. Um, all four? Yeah, all four. Okay. How'd you go? Um, I went all right. Well, I went in there thinking, oh, yeah, if I get top 15, that's good because I was – it was my first international season – 2018, sorry, 2017, 18, doing speed events. And yeah. I wasn't really sure if I was going to qualify. Um, 
but downhill came along and you'd have a few training. We had one free ski hill or free ski day on the hill to get a feel of the hill. And then you have one, or you, they schedule three days in to train on the downhill course because it's so dangerous. You need to know where you're going because you're going so fast. Yeah. But we had one, we had one training day on the hill and I think I crashed. I can't, I think I crashed. And then the other two days were written off because of snow. Oh. So we just got a POV of the hill on our phones and we're just like, I'm just sitting there for the next Studying two days. It. Just being like, okay, yeah, we go left, right. But I can tell you right now, I can I can write down that course. I can write down every downhill course I've done in the last eight years because you don't forget them. Wow. Okay. And they're yeah. all pretty unique or different? They're all different because um, they – they're, they're all different hills, so they're just yeah. based on the hill and the flow of the hill. But because you're literally memorizing the downhill for basically three, four days straight, mm. and then you race it, they're just like they're ingrained in your yeah, yeah that's in your mind. That's um, like I can remember. Like if I somebody said to me like, "Tell me about this surf comp this year," I can mm. probably tell you like who I surfed against. Yeah what the conditions yeah, are exactly. like, yeah. what scores I got almost. Like mm. you don't forget that stuff, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. I mean, I can't tell when I had a breakfast, but I can tell you <laughs> what I did <laughs> eight years ago or nine or no, four years, five years so ago. Yeah, let's talk but, about yeah. how that um first event, those yeah. events went, that first Olympics. So the first event was the downhill because um, they start from the fastest and go down the, to the slowest because you start top of the hill and you work your way down yeah. basically. Um and I got to the start and I'm on this ski that I've never been on before. It's a 218-centimeter ski with a 50-meter radius. So if you roll the ski over without bending it, it'll turn in 50 meters. Does that uh -huh. make sense? Yeah. Um, and I'm in the start and I've got my co my ski tech behind us, an American coach behind me. And everyone on the circuits, we're all pretty close friends. Yeah. Like everyone – like big you're community. in a big community and you want everyone to do well, but you also want to beat everyone, right? But there's no like negative rivalry. It's all mm. like, yeah, good luck, have fun. I'll see you in the finish, basically. Yeah, be safe. And I'm in the start and so I don't know. I don't know if I wasn't listening or paying attention, but normally the start ref will go 30 seconds, 10 seconds, and then – the timer will beat five, four, three, two, one, and then you'll have five, four, three, two, one seconds. You have ten seconds to go to pull. Yeah, to and pull it out. starts from when yeah. you cross the start line. Um, yeah, the yeah. The, the time will yeah. start when you push out. And I'm sitting there here, thirty seconds. I'm like, yep. Then he goes ten seconds. I'm like, okay, let's go. Take a few breaths in, and then it was silence. I'm waiting for these these five beeps to go. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, I'm, it's probably close to 10 seconds now. I'm like, Don't what's go. happening? And then one of the guys goes behind me to the ref. Can he go? And the ref's like, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, <laughs> right. And I was like a little bit frazzled. frazzled. I was like, what just happened? Because you can get disqualified. Uh huh. And I was like, oh, okay, I better go out. And then kind of like forgot that by the basically the first turn. And I was skiing and then one, two, three, four, five, six. On my seventh turn, I kind of 
leant over really far and kind of bucketed out. And if you watch the video, it kind of looks like I'm done. I'm going to be out of the race, but somehow get back onto my ski and ski down. And this hill was looking back on now pretty tame compared to what we've done in the last four years and especially China. Uh, and then cross the finish line and like, I think I came 11th. Sick. I was stoked with that because I was like top 15. Sweet. That's cool. Um, came 11th and my family were there too. They managed to fly over a few Sick. days before to watch. And it was that games was so good. I really enjoyed the whole games and the whole experience because everything just felt like it flowed and it worked. Mm. Um, How'd the other two events go or the other three? Um, Super G, I crashed and GS, I finished, I think, I want to say 16th. <laughs> yeah, you remember who was in the top three. I would remember. We'll yeah. call it 16th. We'll call it 16th. Um, and I got, I don't know, I don't know why I was doing slalom, but I crashed in slalom. But I was like, this is the point. It's sick. You're at the Paralympics. Do it all. I was at the Paralympics. Fun. Yeah. Hell but yeah. at the end of the games, I don't know if Benny spoke about it, but by yourself and parties amazing yeah <laughs> so by <laughs> slalom i'm like i don't really want to be here it's literally probably 18 degrees out there it is so hot really yeah it's hot there yeah yeah because we ski or we race in like march normally yeah. uh, so two weeks, weeks after, after the olympics yeah. and it's like springtime it's great for well, I wouldn't say it's great for snow, but it's great for the spectators. And yeah, yeah. if it's good weather and warm, it's yeah, better. It's a good, it's a good vibe. Um, but by that, you've literally just been on up at four AM for like almost ten days straight, and you're like, I'm just done. And then yeah. after that, Sam, I was like, yeah, cool. Someone just give me a beer, and then you go. So the men and women race differently, and then the next day. You go to the hill with a few beers and you just watch the women race and it was just sick. <laughs> the end was good. I mean, the whole experience was good. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. um, by the end of it, because it's at the end of a five-month block that you've just been overseas for training and training and you're just like, yeah. Pressure, anxiety, um, everything yeah, you do with that yeah. being done. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you're just done and you have a few beers and. Yeah, sick. A little party. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like there's big parties after that. When you um when you come home from your first Olympics or Paralympics, was it all right? Four years later, we're going again. I've only had a yep. year or two on snow. Like working this out, I'm starting to feel it in. Like yeah, hundred percent. Right, Olympics. I mean, next Paralympics. Right, yeah, I think every time I've said that, I said that wrong. No, you've only said it twice then. No, I think I I've think said so. it like the whole way through the podcast. I haven't got it the first go. And it's, it's, I'm only doing it because I was literally talking to Benny about mm. how Everyone, proud you guys are. The yeah. Paralympics and Olympics are mm. different. Because I said to him, why don't do you have the rings tattooed? And he's like, no, no, we're Paralympians. We're not Olympians. And I was like. Yeah, it's a different yeah, symbol. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what was it like leading up to the next Paralympics? All right. Um, well done. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, I came back home and I was like, yeah, let's go another four years. I was just fully throwing myself back Just into quickly, it. I want to like pull this in because I think people will want to hear this. Are you just full-time Paralympian athlete and you're getting yeah. funded by the Australian Government Paralympic Committee to train full year round, winter overseas, then winter in Australia? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a full-time athlete. Yeah. But I work... In their in, in my parents' lodge in Perisher. Yeah. And, but you don't get 
an income from skiing. Yeah. Unless you're There's fun travel so training. Yeah, I mean kinda. So Snow Australia get money from the Australian Sports Commission. Yeah. And then they get a budget every year, X amount of dollars, which pays for coaches, um, physios, your management staff. Um, travel for you guys to events? Travel. Accommodation. Some, yeah. Events, no. I mean, yeah, it depends. So then there's tiers of funding that you get with results. Yeah. Um, so if you're in the top three, I'm pretty sure it's you don't have to pay anything. I'm th- I'm I think Benny. I Benny. <laughs> <laughs> um and then it goes and then it goes down from there. Um but yeah, I've I don't really want to throw numbers out there, but every year it's it's a decent amount yeah. of money that I have to save and then spend yeah. and um to get overseas for yeah, the northern hemisphere, yeah. So um, you don't get an income from yeah. like year round from skiing or whatever, yeah. but there is funding separate to the Snow Australia funding, which is again results based, and that's um, can I think that can be up to thirty two grand a year, but that's to help. It's there to help you outside of skiing, so for rent, food, living, yeah. whatever it may be. But yeah. I'm pretty sure every athlete who gets that would use that for their sport anyway. Yeah. So, and you guys are at the snow. It's the most expensive thing you can do in the world. <laughs> I know, right? It me like 500 bucks for three half days the last couple it's of days ridiculous. of riding. It's, it's honestly ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy. But, yeah. So, yeah, going into – I'm going to quickly talk about the last Olympics because there's one more thing I want to talk to you about before we wrap up. What was the last Olympics experience like for you over in um, China? China? A bit different, I heard. Yeah. Um, it was – I didn't. I enjoyed it. Like obviously, I was proud and excited to be there. But there was a lot of excess stress in the Alpine Village. So the Alpine guys, which is Alpine skiers, were different to where the snowboarders were. So I didn't get to see Benny much at all during the games. Um, and our team just had a, a few internal issues i mm. don't think i had i won't go into it yeah. but um it was just extra stress that none of us needed yeah and it was kind of a build up over the over the part the four months leading into the games and it just kind of at the games it felt like we were just holding on like mm. just to get through this two weeks yeah but me pat and josh who are our playing skiers we're really close and we're like nothing really gets to us so we just kind of stuck to ourselves we had an apartment together in the games. We just kind of did us, got food, went to the hill, whatever, and mm. um, we had a great time. It was like the hill at China was gnarly. Real steep. Real, like it was on from once you push out of the start and there were some hectic crashes. Really? Especially in, um, so there was a training hill and the race hill and then the, so the training hill, speed hill, and then you had training hill and your tech hill. Yeah. And that was it. And the rest was dirt. Like it was weird and it was warm. Um, on the training hill, it wasn't that steep, but it was, you still have to kind of think about it. And the morning of the downhill race, um, doing some training runs and then I get to the top of the race, the race hill, and normally there's this American Sitsky, Andrew Kirker, who's 
pretty bubbly, pretty like just talks. He's very confident mm. um, and he's sitting there quiet as anything and I'm like, that's weird. What is wrong with him? And he's just having some – oh, I don't know what he's having, but he's, his physio or doctor's giving him some medication. And I was like, no, and he's just sitting there with his head down just just I, I think he was in oh he, he was in a lot of pain um and after the race he raced and after the race i found out that he had a, had a crash in training fractured his humerus bone oh. so like right through here and he still raced and i think he came like sixth or eighth or something for anyone listening I needed you to point out because people aren't going to be able to see. Humerus is you know, oh, your bicep and your arm at the top of your arm. Yeah. And the guy raced. With a fractured arm. In a sit ski with a broken skin. arm. Yeah. When oh you put like. You're using your arms to everything. Your arms like are. Your arms are like snow. legs. <laughs> your arms are huge, man. Um, and I was like, what wow. the actual, like that's ridiculous. Mm. But I think, like I look back and I'm like, I wouldn't do that. But in the moment. At the games, you got one race. Yeah. Do you get one run and that run counts, or do you get like two runs and it's your fastest run? Or no, so it's for the speed events, it's one run and done, and no room for error. No room for error. And the tech events, it's still it's two runs, but the time adds up. So you still they both matter. They both matter. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, so China was like you're at the top of the downhill, and like I remember it clearly. I'm sitting one to two people out and you're in this start hut. There's a camera like right here in my face. I've got my coach behind me just on the same breathe, whatever, but I'm, but I'm just like kind of zoned out, just remembering the course, now we've got to go. And then the guy in front of me pushes out and I'm like, okay, shit, let's go. So I go to the start. And you can see the finish line or the finish height right or a few yeah. Ks down the bottom of the hill and I'm like, I have to get from here to here in the fastest time. And you can see like the hill go around through the canyon and stuff. And it gets to the point where it's like 30 seconds, 10 seconds. I'm like, okay, let's go. And you push out and then it's a blur. And then push out. And I'm skiing so well. And I think for this first split, I was 0.15 seconds behind first. And then a few more turns, I come out and I'm, there was this one turn during, during training that I was like, I need to get through here because this is going to be the hardest turn, not technical turn, but just the hardest because the snow was a bit weird in places. Mm. And I came out in a great position, next turn, great position. And I don't know what had happened, but where I came out of this turn, the snow was heap sugary and just soft. And we like it, the surface to be icy and firm because you get most performance, you got heaps of grip. And when you're bending your ski over, if you hit soft snow, the ski just kind of loses its grip on the edge and you've kind of got nothing. Yeah, slide out. So I um, hit that and then slid out and missed the next turn and I was like still devastated. I think about it, I'm like, I'm never, ever going to remember that turn. I mean, forget that turn. Four years of waiting for one run and yep. <laughs> that's close. it. Oh. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, because I, I, and I would have loved to see where my next split was because it was literally the next turn after. Mm. But hindsight. I can't. Yeah, hindsight. I can't hold to that because who knows, really? Yeah. Um. So yeah, that um, that turn. I've had two of those moments in my career, and they I wouldn't say haunt me, but they stick hard with me. They're hard to forget, but they motivate me to just be even more on finer detail and more on yeah that extra one percent because yeah yeah it's yeah it is cutthroat it's a oh, professional it's, sport it hey. is cutthroat yeah it's professional sport but i mean it is what it is so man it's it's been so cool chatting there's one last thing that i want to chat about because your paralympics experience and your story is so awesome but there's something that i wanted to touch on were you the first to get to kosciuszko surely yeah <laughs> yeah so so i watched so a bit of context about this story. So yesterday, the day of recording this, me and Ben Tudhope climbed Mount Kosciuszko or hiked Mount Kosciuszko, which yeah. is, I mean, for us, it took us two hours of young athletic men to get up there. <laughs> yeah. And you're obviously a very young athletic man too, but without the use of your legs, it's a bit yeah. harder to hike up a mountain. Yeah. Talk me through the mindset when you were like, you know what, I want to be the first person who doesn't have use of his legs to get to the top, the peak summit of Australia, the highest point of the country. Yeah. And yeah, talk me through that journey. There's an amazing documentary as well for anyone out there listening. I'm going to put it in the show notes, um, which I watched yesterday and that was when I watched it. I was like, fuck, I have to get Sam on the podcast <laughs> because what you achieve with that is just ridiculous by using just yeah, your arms you. and your upper body strength mm. to summit uh, the highest peak in the country. Talk me about that journey yeah. when it first came to, you know what, I want to do this and then what the day yeah. was like. Um, so, yeah, I was the first Paralympic to summit Kosciuszko under my own power. Yeah. So there have been people up there but piggybacked and stuff. With help, yeah. yeah. Um, and I did, I went out backcountry with mates towing me on ropes in 23 years ago. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is like, it was cool but I was like, I love a challenge. I love sweating. I love just didn't feel the same, but it didn't. I wasn't. Didn't feel like I achieved anything. I was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm just sitting here getting towed up. Yeah. And then after that, I spoke to Lucas, who did all the filming and editing. I was like, "What about next year if we do it like solo and make like and I'll just do it without any assistance." Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, "Oh, that'd be that'd be sick." And then. COVID happened and then we weren't going overseas. So we were like, oh, that's perfect year to do it. Yeah, let's just train. And- yeah, well, my training didn't really change much because I had to be ski fit and this was just like a little challenge on the side of it. It's a bit different though. Endurance fitness is different to explosive yeah. fitness. Yeah, oh, 100%. I knew I was fit enough um, and I could get through it because it was, I didn't, yeah, it was, um, it wasn't like, max work max effort for the whole session mm. it was like yeah you can break here work here break here um but yeah had the idea at the start of the winter season in 2020 yeah and then got a few people in with knowledge of like backcountry and ropes and equipment and just over the winter we tested out um how roping would work up the last face of Kosciuszko and What's um what I would need on the trek? It was a cross country ski, my hand cycle, my wheelchair, my downhill sit ski, 
and that was just me. And then we had other people with like bare skis, skins, food, water, ropes. Um, I think it was nine people all up on that day came out and it was, we left way too late um, because we wanted, the wind was going to die down around lunchtime. So we left at 11 um, and we started from Charlotte's Pass, which is up past Perisher. Yeah. And I think it's a 9K hike to Kosciuszko along the fire trail and the trail up the, the back. And then I'm on my hand cycle for the first bit because it's road. Yeah. And it's about, I think, 4K is to where we had to stop. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so easy. You can just chill, smash out this in a few hours, and then we'll, grab it. we'll be in Cozzy within, I, I initially thought, two hours. I was like, yeah, easy. We'll be fine. And then two hours went by, and I think we we had gone maybe three Ks. And I was like, oh, shit. This is, this is going to take quite a long time. And then there was a few snow patches where we had to figure out um, the one area where Didn't it was it stuff, huh? before that, where I was on my hands. Oh, yeah, you had to wheelbarrow yeah, across, wheelbarrow the, across the snow. Yeah, that, um, that killed me. Oh, I bet. You, um, you do it on your knuckles too, I saw. Right? Yeah, because oh, I don't have the best wrist <laughs> um, mobility. So knuckles... But my forearms, I was like, oh, shit, we, I've, I've stuffed this up. Um, but I had banana and a magnesium table and I was ready to go. So I was like, oh, okay, easy. And then getting up. So it was about, what was it? It was probably 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. I could see the top of Kosciuszko and we were still probably or oh, maybe big 2Ks from the top. And one of the guys said, all right, we either turn back now or we, we go. And oh, I was like, no, we're not. No, we're fucking going. Mm. This is on. We've gone this far. We're not We're not giving up. So I was like, yep, all right, let's go. So I get to the bottom of Kosciuszko after, oh, I think it was maybe five and a half hours. And I'm looking like up the like summit. the last summit. Steep, the last Steep, summit. yeah. And I was like. I was Jesus struggling Christ. walking up in snowshoes <laughs> and like watching the doco, you're pulling yourself up mm. with ropes 10 yeah. centimeters at a time. 10 centimeters at a time. You're doing 10 yeah. centimeters at a time for a kilometer. Yeah. <sighs> it took, I think it took an hour and a half to get from the bottom Fuck of man. Cozzy, well, the, the last phase to the top. And I, I, was, I remember sitting there and I was like, this is going to be stupidly long and just like hand over hand, just kind of just one yeah, pulling inch at a time. Yeah, 10 centimetres at a time. Yeah. Off a kilometre Yeah. Um, but got to the top, had about 20 minutes there of like sunlight for, we basically just was like, all right, cool. We couldn't really celebrate because the way back camera, the, yeah, we, the way back was a mission, but the camera guy was like, yeah, we need to get the photos. Joe needs to go out. Um, and then on the way down, the sun was just going over the horizon, and I was like, "Oh, this is pretty beautiful." Like that—that that was. Did worth you get the help on the way back with her? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get me home. <laughs> well, I had my so I skied down back to where I could. Then how fun was that run? 
Oh, honestly, I don't really remember it. I was like, <laughs> get me out. <laughs> um, no, no, that run was good, but I was going to do short turns and I was like, no, nah, stuff that I'm just going to do big, big, wide, fast turns. Um, and then everyone was like, yeah, let's just go. And then we got, I think, 2Ks back down the road and someone had left their boots at the bottom of Cozzy. So oh. I had to run back up, no. get that. <laughs> um and I think I got back in my hand cycle, got dragged back along where I walked up on my hands and it was pitch black. There was no moon and I think only two of us had headlights. Head, headlights. So I'm, I don't have a headlight. I'm just kind of following the sound of the road. If, like, and if I went off the track, I was like, oh, okay, i got to go right or left. Um, and I knew, I kind of knew where I was going, but I, I was like, fuck, I hope I'm going the right way. Oh, okay. And then. Um, yeah, so it took seven hours to get to top and three hours to get back. Fuck. How good is that first beer when you got home? I didn't have a beer. You were in bed. I, I didn't. I was like, <laughs> I need water and sleep. <laughs> Big day, but man, what an achievement. Oh, I, I'm definitely going to leave yeah. oh, I love to link to that doco because it's um super inspiring, but just like such a crazy journey. Like hearing mm. you just explain it after doing it yesterday, it's yeah, just yeah. like, you're an absolute animal. Yeah. But, well, <laughs> man, it's been so cool to chat. It's been so good to get to know you. And I'm sure yeah, we're going to be too. good friends moving forward. We've got some exciting stuff we've already spoken about for yeah, next 100%. season. Hopefully doing some backcountry <laughs> camping and whatnot. Um, yeah, looking forward to following your journey, heading into the next um, Paralympics. It's going to be really cool having you and Benny as good friends. And I'm sure I'll get to know a lot more of your athlete buddies over the next couple yeah. of years, which yeah, is going to be really 100%. fun. But Man, the last question I finish every Good Humans podcast episode with is, what does being a good human mean to Sam Tate? Ooh. Um, I wish I knew this question was coming. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, it's, it's a good no, one no. to expose people who don't listen to my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, <laughs> joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm we only met like a day ago. It's all good. Um, what does being but a good human? Better everyone, don't worry. Answer however you feel. I, oh, okay. Um, I think... Mm, this is, There's no right or wrong answer. Yeah, Take yeah. your time. You can cut it out. Being a good human. Um, I think not um, not judging like a book by its cover or not judging someone by their looks or how they talk or how they, um, how they may come across from a first appearance. Mm. I've had many encounters with people where um, like they may come across as arrogant or a bit naive or rude or something, but I'll always give someone the benefit of the doubt. Um, and nine out of ten times, they'll be great people. Mm. And I'm always one first. Well, I'm always someone who will help someone, even if they have been mean or rude to me or anything. I'm always going to be like, "Yep, cool." I don't have to change my values. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm more, my values, like I'm more than happy to put myself out of the way to help someone who needs a little bit of help or Mm -hmm. who's in need because I'm a huge believer in um, karma and not that I do something to get something good back. I just want to put that positive energy out there Mm -hmm. and I really feel like if you put positive energy out there that, someone's going to pick up on that and 
they might pass on to someone else. Yeah, I and love that. It's little things. That's, that's beautifully put. That's an amazing answer and it's very on theme, obviously, for the um, world of disability. I do want to finish with one last question because this I think will be quite interesting. How much experience or understanding did you have of the disability community before you um, had your accident and how much yeah. has your perception changed on it? Because it's, I'm just going to quickly add mm. one more thing, but because before really knowing Benny and like yourself and a few other people with disabilities who I've met recently through the podcast from Barney, actually I've known Barney for a while and Josh yep. now for a while. Yeah. I don't know how to put this. My perception has changed so much on disabilities mm. and this is probably going to sound bad for how I might've used to acted, but like I've gone from like, not sympathizing with anyone with disabilities, but just being like, how can I best support you and how yeah. can I best understand your story? Which is different. We're not. Yeah, no, it's like 100%. disability and not disability. It's like somebody without a disability has got some weird, not weird traits is a bad word here, but <laughs> has, some, some has some different traits about yeah. them. Whereas like, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but what was your experience when you first became um, more around the community with like, that para community and people with disabilities yeah. and had your perception changed a whole lot? Oh, 100%. I had no, well, like I've tried to think back before my accident to, to see if I can remember what I thought or how I acted and I, I can't, but I know that ever since acquiring my, my um, injury, that my perception has definitely changed. And over the years, like when someone would come to your street and say, oh, you're an inspiration, I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. But and I know they mean well. I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but over like this year especially, I don't know, it's been, it's been different and weird. I, had, I was in the shops the other day and I had someone come up and say, and they were like, well done. I was like, what? For what? I'm like, oh, well done for just being out. And I was like, <laughs> I, it took every nerve in my body to not say something. Mm. And I was like, oh, thank you. But like, it's I don't know. That person probably thinks they're saying, doing something really nice. Exactly. And I think it comes back to the education system. 100%. I wish I learned more about, yeah. not how to treat people with disability. That's the wrong way to put it, but that, People with disabilities are the exact same as everyone else. Yeah. Like you treat them the same yeah. as your mate who you're going to visit the pub with. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. You talk to them the same, you treat them the same. Yeah. Because that's, yeah, how yeah. it should be rather yeah. than that's why I went with before that idea of not sympathizing because mm. it's like. Yeah, we don't need sympathy. Yeah, exactly. No, not at all. We're, we're it's the last thing literally have. the same as like yeah. anyone else. We're just living with a disability and most, well, I reckon 99% of people I meet with a disability are the most happy and positive people mm. I've met and just have the best outlook on life and are so grateful. Mm. And I think the community needs to be educated in that because if they can take away from like somehow our mindset, then it'll be like everyone will be for, um, more fortunate and grateful for their lives. Like mm. I have – Friends who I try and, I don't know, put some like zest into their life and they just have no passion for anything. They just work Monday to Friday mm. and that's it. I'm like, just give me some emotion. Give me give me something. Like you're just kind of existing as opposed to living in life. And yeah. I think people need to 
not get worried about like little things and really appreciate that yeah. we're only here for a short time and just get out there and live. get out there and live really Man, yeah i love that it's a perfect way to finish and hopefully this podcast has educated some people and maybe some different perceptions and ways to um yeah treat people in their community with disabilities and yeah just actively engage with people and yeah. learn their stories and yeah, learn how 100%. you can best help people to achieve what they want to whether they have a disability or not it's just about being a good human and obviously yeah. that's what this podcast is about so exactly if you've listened to you and you've enjoyed it and you've learned something make sure you share it with a friend to all you legends out there listening right now and man thank you so much for jumping on where can everyone find you on socials or what's the best way to get in touch if anyone wants to sponsor you for your journey or, <laughs> i'm not going to promise anything like that i haven't had anyone yet tell me that they've got a sponsor from the podcast <laughs> but maybe one day um but yeah if anyone wants to get in contact and check out um your journey where's the best place to find you um probably just my instagram sam tate underscore underscore seven sick i'll yeah. um leave that in the show notes and all appreciate that good it. stuff but yeah man yeah, no, thanks thank so you. much for jumping on appreciate, no, appreciate it. it cooper thank you cheers Great. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 